Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our newest lecture. And this is a look at the spleen challenges and diagnosis. And I gave this talk a couple weeks ago. Did a lot of thinking about the spleen. Uh, we've had other lectures on CTSS on the spleen. And it's one of the common topics we speak at at our courses. Uh, the spleen is somewhat of a challenging uh, organ to evaluate. We see it on every scan of the abdomen and see it in great part in almost every scan of the chest. There's always the challenge of what we see and can we determine specifically what the lesions are. I think when you look at a list of lesions of the spleen, you can see that some of these are benign and some of these, of course, are primary or metastatic disease. But if you look at the numbers, if you look at the big picture, you can have some reality checking. In some ways, it's very much like the adrenal. Most things are benign. Most lesions are benign, and most are followed conservatively or ignored with rarely a case pursued, and that's only occasionally. We rarely do splenic biopsies. We have some techniques for looking at the spleen, but there's nothing really specific like we have with the liver or we have with the kidney. And there have been no new developments in the spleen, even with things like dual energy or perfusion imaging or the like. And the same could be said with many of the different imaging techniques that can be used for looking at the spleen. There's no one perfect study. Each has certain advantages, perhaps, and each has some uh, definite limitations. Now, if someone asks me to look at the spleen specifically, things I think about are the clinical history, including past medical history. Is the patient febrile? Did the patient just have surgery? Does the patient have known lymphoma? Does the patient have sickle cell disease? Uh, has there been recent surgery? What about prior CT scans? Well, lots of time lesions in the spleen look exactly like they did five or 10 years ago, and you may not be certain what it is, but you know it's of no clinical significance. Also, lab findings, and of course, looking at other CT findings. If you see a lesion in the spleen and there's extensive nodes, you gotta be thinking about lymphoma. That might be one example. When I think about the specific CT findings, I think about different things. Is the lesion single or multiple? Metastasis can be multiple, lymphoma can be multiple, but simple cysts and hemangiomas can be multiple. So that helps sometimes, but not always. Lesion size, small versus large. Multiple new small lesions, you think infection. Larger lesions, you think maybe lymphoma, sarcoma, or a benign cyst. What about the enhancement? Does the enhancement help me any? When it's really an irregular enhancement, I gotta be thinking about a malignant type process. And again, additional findings, be it liver, or be it kidney, or be it nodal disease. And then, of course, the clinical history. If somebody has a history of lymphoma and they have a splenic lesion, it's lymphoma. They have sickle cell disease, you see calcified lesions, you know exactly what you're dealing with. So if I ask this, another question, when do we uh, evaluate the spleen? When is it requested? Well, as I mentioned at the start of this talk, it's always there. Every abdominal CT and most chest CTs. We look at it when we're staging neoplasms like lymphoma or melanoma. We may look at it carefully in a patient with FUO looking for source of fever. It may be just simply left up a quadrant pain or even something potentially palpable are all reasons we're looking at the spleen. Now, if you ask the question, what's a normal spleen? Most people will say that the maximum length of the spleen is 13 centimeters. Again, I always hate measurements because it's hard to figure out exactly where you're measuring and that's always an issue. We talk about splenic volume, normal being under 150 grams, but we tend not to spend a lot of time looking at splenic volume. Accessory spleens are common, and that's very important to know because it's one of the sources of potential 
error in diagnosis. Usually they're small, less than three centimeters, and typically located near the hilum of the spleen. Those sexary spleens can be anywhere. They can simulate masses of the pancreas. They can be in the pelvis. They can be in the lung. If you have a traumatic uh, splenectomy, then almost anywhere can you find accessory spleens. It's also important to remember that lobulations are not uncommon. You see clefts in the spleen. And a key thing is not to confuse a cleft with a laceration. Now, when you ask what's the density of the spleen, usually we like to say the normal liver is 7 to 10 Hounsfield units greater than the spleen on non-contrast studies. If you're trying to measure a contrast study, it's a little bit more difficult because the density of the spleen is dependent on the timing. That is, it will look different arterial, venous, or delayed. There are the variable circulatory routes through the spleen, through the white, and through the red pulp. And that becomes very, very important in terms of giving what ends up being a moray pattern we will speak about. When we look at the protocols, you can look at all four phases, though that's rarely, if ever, done. In most cases, when you're looking at the spleen, it's single phase in about 60 or 70 seconds. You don't want to scan too early. The spleen is too bright. You want to scan a little bit later where it's more in the venous phase, and that works out very nicely. If you're looking at things that are vascular, maybe a splenic rupture, maybe a splenic bleed, suspected splenic artery aneurysms or pseudoaneurysms, then you want to be doing dual phase. Arterial phase at about 30 seconds, venous at about 70 seconds. Scan parameters, here's just a typical 64-slice scanner, 0.75 millimeter thick sections every 0.5 works very nicely. Now when you ask about the spleen and you look at enhancement patterns, the classic thing is this moray pattern you see on the right uh, in a moment. Uh, with the moray pattern, we talk about, you see them more commonly with fast injection rates with early acquisition. It's accentuated in certain patients, patients with decreased cardiac output or heart failure, patients with splenic vein occlusion, patients with portal hypertension. The thing about this pattern, which can really simulate diffuse infiltration, is that if you go back a little bit later, maybe 60 seconds later or even less, the enhancement tends to be uniform. So it's isodense. So really, this moray pattern, which you see very nicely right here, can be somewhat problematic. You can call a splenic laceration. It's not, but you can call it. You could say, is there infiltration? But when you look at the thing 30 seconds later, look how nice it looks. Absolutely normal. Or this case, moray pattern, look at the spleen 30 seconds later. Or this case, a little bit less dramatic, but still, is there infiltration? Is there splenic laceration? L later phase, 30 seconds later, absolutely nothing present. And here's just one more example. So that becomes very important. You want to be really careful in not overcalling the presence of splenic pathology. There's a real danger of that on arterial phase imaging, particularly when you let your imagination run amok. Now, in terms of anatomy, the average number of branches to the spleen originating uh, from the hilum is between 6 and 12. That's called the distributive pattern. A magistral-type pattern consists of a long splenic artery and that divides near the hilum into three or four large short terminal branches. So there is a little bit of uh, variations in the anatomy. And that can become important in a case like this where you're doing laparoscopic surgery. Very nice example of a classic single, well-defined splenic artery 
and you can see a slight difference in this case where uh, splenic artery and then you look at the, spl the splenic vein and renal vein so arterial and venous phase imaging would be necessary when you want to really give the best look at all of the vessels now one thing that often comes up with the spleen is the comment about situs and what situs means is it refers to the position of the heart and major abdominal organs relative to the midline so when you say it that way there is situs normal situs and variations situs solitus inversus ambiguous ambiguous with polysplenia so what are we looking at here's a case you can see the uh, looking at the liver it's on the left you see the spleen is on the right there are multiple splenules present this is polysplenia okay we talk about accessory spleens that case was very easy and but sometimes it's very problematic up to 16 percent of patients will have accessory uh, spleens on CT usually at two centimeters or, or less and usually they enhance just like the normal spleen but at times they can simulate pancreatic lesions or renal lesions or even adrenal lesions good article by Morelli more than a decade ago accessory spleens well marginated round under 2 cm and enhanced homogeneously and the comment here by Mortelli differentiation from a vascular pancreatic neoplasm is sometimes challenging so I, I won't argue with that but I think with the right technique um, you could and you should be able to separate what's a splenule from what might be a vascular lesion and we published this paper which looked at a range of different uh, appearances post splenectomy uh, again the point being that a classic splenectomy you may see one or two accessory spleens nearby but it's the traumatic or the complicated splenectomy that is going to have issues so in this case you can see very nicely the patient has had splenectomy stomachs laying across and then as we go you can see this one centimeter nodule on the left that's near the omentum that's an accessory spleen or this case where you can see the patients had a had uh, has a mass near the spleen what you notice on this case is the lesion enhances identical to the spleen that's a very important sign not only is it near the spleen usually in a splenic hilum but you can see the enhancement pattern it's exactly the same okay very important now you can say splenules or these accessory spleens can be single or multiple nice example of multiple accessory spleens they can sit in funny places here's one in the adrenal region which was called an adrenal mass when you look carefully it looks real then you see the adrenal very nicely there and you say wait a second what's going on well what happened was the patient had an accessory spleen it was sitting right next to the adrenal and it was simulating an adrenal lesion and you can see from these images the patient has a normal adrenal so it's a very very important point to be aware of it's very easy to miss it now we also can see cases like this uh, which I would call unusual accessory spleens so here you're looking at the splenic bed the spleen is gone what's going on well look at that structure just to the left of what would be the tail of the pancreas it's solid it's high density there it is on the coronal volume rendered image and there it is circled on the axial and 3D volume rendering image you see it's smooth well-defined near the splenectomy bed very sharply marginated that was an accessory spleen so you can see these things can be a bit further away than we would like uh, if you um, 
inject contrast as we commented before accessory spleens 90% of the time or more will enhance identical uh, to the splenic tissue so that helps you a lot in making the right diagnosis and again just a very nice visualization of that sometimes you can see splenosis by the GE junction remember it could be anywhere it could be the lung present as a lung nodule present as a mediastinal mass present in the pleura present around the uh, the stomach near the fundus and perhaps this patient has a, an adrenal lesion uh, you know it's just kind of in their right range there it is I mean it's worrisome well at the end of the day when you look at all of the images you realize the patient has splenosis there's implants on the spleen there's implants uh, rather there's implants on the stomach there's implants in the area which was the spleen so it becomes very important to really realize what exactly you're dealing with because it's a great pitfall. You're overcalling disease. You may be intervening on patients for no reason with uh, things like biopsies, which can have complications. So just a very, very nice um, appearance and one of the really nice pitfalls. And here's an example of a splenectomy with splenosis, multiple lesions in the splenic bed. Here you can see it comes near the tail of the pancreas. One thing we talk about is how this pancreas tail sits by the hilum of the spleen so it's not surprising accessory spleens will either involve the pancreas or come close enough to almost involve or be confused with a pancreatic lesion like a neuroendocrine tumor another example here's a mass on the omentum you would say oh cancer of the colon now has omental implants this was an accessory spleen now I will admit that here's some 3d images it's sometimes very hard to make the diagnosis of an accessory spleen. They're bright often because they enhance just like the regular splenic tissue. In a case like this, when you don't see a, a spleen present, you've got to be really thinking about splenosis. And so when you see what looks like an enhancing nodule, you've got to give it a little bit more thought. Perhaps you're dealing with something less than the obvious. Now, in terms of pitfalls in evaluation of the spleen, I mentioned this one where the... Uh, by the tail of the pancreas where these uh, accessory splenules can create findings that simulate a, uh, a pancreatic lesion. Uh, and typically when they simulate a lesion, we're talking about things like uh, neuroendocrine tumors. And also post-left nephrectomy and splenic rotation into the nephrectomy bed can also simulate a tumor. So here's a very simple case. It's probably more of an issue if you had non-contrast CT. You see the renal bed, there's tail of pancreas, there's the spleen falling backwards. Just a very nice example of that. And here's the 3D rotation to show you that image and how it looks. Now, the fact that the splenic tissue kind of mirrors both on arterial and venous phase imaging kind of can be helpful. Here's a case of what looks like a lesion at a quick glance is within the pancreas. It looks like a splenule. And here it is again. But when you looked at all the images, you know, there it looks pretty convincing. Here it is again and again. But, you know, you notice it's right on the surface of the pancreas. So you've got to be thinking, could this be a splenule? But, you know, it's hard to prove exactly. Very, very hard to prove. Like, um, so what do you do? Do you say this is an accessory spleen? And what do you say it's a possible neuroendocrine tumor? What should you do? Well, I think one thing we look at is when you see a case like this and it has a perfect moray pattern, it's always going to be spleen. Sometimes you'll need to do tagged red blood cell studies. Most of the time, CT will suffice. CT can be used to differentiate between um, 
IPAS and PANETS with good sensitivity and specificity. Uh, and this will mirror the spleen's enhancement pattern and also is usually located on the surface, which we know about from the, writing a bunch about those tumors. Um, we talk about uh, differentiating IPAS from uh, neuroendocrine tumors. Again, there's some rules that these uh, intrapancreatic accessory lesions or at the tip or within 3CM of the tip of the pancreas. That's true, but typically so are the uh, other lesions, including neuroendocrine tumors. Uh, it is a challenge. Readers should look for enhancement of these intrapancreatic accessory spleens matching the enhancement pattern of the spleens on MDCT. Furthermore, routine evaluation of the splenic vein should be performed. Okay, no problem with that. But again, it does make it fairly easy for us to kind of figure out what to do. Now, if you're not certain, and sometimes every once in a while it's hard to tell, you kind of look for similarity, they don't enhance quite all right. In those cases, a technetium 99 labeled heat damage red blood cell study is critical. There, even the smallest accessory splints will light up. So, kind of a good way of thinking about things. Okay, let's now talk about splenic tumors, but I'll tell you what we do. Why don't we take a break and we'll stop here and we'll come back and speak about splenic tumors. And I'll see you in four minutes and 59 seconds. Bye.